0: I want to cover one of the most basic and fundamental and foundational things that we need to know about the subject of healing. And uh, this won't be the first time we've covered this. Um, we go over this again and again and again because it's something you need to be firmly established in, not just for your own well-being, but so that you can help and bless other people and tell them what they may not know. Acts chapter 10, Peter is uh, preaching at Cornelius' house. Now, the the context surrounding this, the circumstances surrounding this story are that um, uh, Peter was in a certain place and um, a certain town and and, um, as he was waiting for dinner to be fixed, he was up on the housetop and he fell into a trance and had a vision. And the Lord spoke to him and said some things, and, and I won't go into the whole story, but told him that three men were coming to see him. Now the reason three men were coming to see him is because the day before the owner of the house that they came from, a man named Cornelius, had a vision and an angel appeared and said that, that Peter was over at the, at the other town in a certain man's house, told where he was, and said that uh, Cornelius and his household should send for Peter where, whereby they could hear words of him so that they would know what to do and so they could be saved. So that's exactly what these three men were doing. So Peter came down from the housetop and found these three guys. Next morning they went over to, back over to the, the other town where Cornelius was in his household and, uh, and he was there and the whole house was full of folks. Cornelius had told about the vision and told about the angel and what the angel said and here's the guy that's coming. So he's got a whole crowd. Big crowd. All of his family are there. Everybody he could gather up is in the house. So Peter starts teaching about Jesus. Starts telling about Jesus. Now these are Gentiles and so uh, Peter's a little wary of uh, the ministry that, uh, that he is engaging in because at that point in time the Jews didn't know that it was okay to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and this is one of the first examples of that. But in Peter's preaching how he begins to tell about Jesus and the things that Jesus did, we want to pull verse 38 out of there, how that Peter summarizes by the Holy Ghost Jesus' ministry, or at least his healing ministry. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing. I'm so glad that the Holy Ghost knew we'd need to know that healing was good. Who went about doing good and healing. Healing has to be good then, doesn't it? Who went about doing good and healing. Now who did he heal? All that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Now folks I want you to see a couple of things here. First of all it said Jesus was anointed. Can I ask you a question? How do you anoint God? Who can anoint God? You can't even say that God can anoint himself. How could God anoint Jesus? Well there's only one answer. And that is if Jesus was here on the earth as a man. Not as God. Because if he's in, here on the earth as God, who needs to anoint him? Now that's where the church goes wrong on the healing, in their understanding of the healing ministry of Jesus. Most of the church world thinks that Jesus healed because he was the son of God. Yet the Bible tells us that Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory and he came to the earth to be a man. As such, at the age of 30 years old, when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, if Jesus is going to enter into the ministry, uh, he's lived 30 years developing his character, lived 30 years of sinless life, But now if he's going to enter into the ministry that God has for him, he's going to have to have equipment to do that because he's just a man. He's going to have to have some supernatural equipment. And that's what the anointing of the Holy Ghost was all about. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. You'll notice that Jesus didn't do any miracles before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost at the baptism of John in the Jordan River. How come? Wasn't he just as much the Son of God before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost as after? Wasn't he just as much the Son of God at age 15 as he was at age 30? Wasn't He just as much the Son of God at age 29 as He was at age 30? Why didn't He do any miracles? If, this, if being the Son of God is what qualifies you to do miracles, if that's what equipped Jesus and enabled Jesus to do miracles here on the earth, why didn't He do them until He was anointed of the Holy Ghost? See, the church world doesn't have an answer for that. Because if you start going down that road, that really messes up their idea. really messes up their doctrinal ideas. Because if Jesus didn't minister on the earth as the Son of God, what in the world did he do? Well, just what the Bible says. He he operated on the earth as a man who was anointed of the Holy Ghost. And that's the reason Jesus told his disciples to go do the same works that he did. See, if Jesus did the miracles and the signs and wonders because he was the Son of God, how in the world is he going to get the disciples to do them while he's here on the earth? How could they heal the sick? They're not the sons of God. Well, Jesus delegated that power. If the power is inherent on being the Son of God, He couldn't have delegated that power. Do you understand the point, folks? You need to be so settled and so fixed and so established in the reality, in the truth, that Jesus ministered on the earth just like you and I are to minister here on the earth, and that is as men and women who are anointed or equipped of the Holy Ghost. And that's what this verse is saying. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. That means you can be anointed of the Holy Ghost and not specifically in the area of power. Doesn't it? Because it says he was anointed of the Holy Ghost and power. That would mean that you could be anointed of the Holy Ghost for other areas of ministry that would not necessarily be equipped or would not necessarily have a lot to do with the power of God. Now, I believe anything that the Holy Ghost equips you to do will have a supernatural aspect. And so we might say that the teaching of the Word of God is with power. But by that we mean the teaching of the word can come across and be understood so that it can apply be applied in your life to produce power. But the power in and of itself is not in the teacher. Right? I mean, you may come out of the service tonight or some other time and say, wow, that was a powerful service. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that there was a charge of electricity in the air? No, that means that the reality of what you heard was something that encouraged you or equipped you or brought you information brought you revelation so that you can now operate in a greater degree of power than you did before so Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost and with power he was anointed to preach and teach and he was anointed to heal and what did he do with that power who went about doing good oh thank God Jesus does good well what kind of good did he do the Bible identifies specifically the good that he did was healing who went about doing good and healing Now, who did he heal? All that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. All that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Can I ask you to find me any place in the Bible where Jesus had to ever check to see if somebody was sick because God wanted them to be or if they were sick because they were oppressed of the devil? Now, the way I ask the question, it may seem foolish. But isn't that exactly what the church world says a lot of times about sickness today? You go to most churches and the idea of somebody being sick and the, 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 the far out concept of being prayed for. You're always going to hear some question or some some statement, something about, well, how do we know this is not God's will for their life? How do we know God doesn't want this in their life for some unknown reason? Can you ever find Jesus ever stopping when somebody came to him to be healed or to be ministered to for, for uh, concerning sickness, can you ever find a place where Jesus stopped and said, let me pray about this and see if this is God's will? Well, why not? Well, you might say, well, he was the Son of God, see, and so he always knew. He knew the will of God. So then any time anybody came up, he would say, or he, would not, he wouldn't have to say, I need to pray about this. He would automatically know. Well, then why didn't he ever find anybody that was the will of God for them to be sick? Can you find any example in the scripture where Jesus said, no, you need to be sick because God is trying to teach you something? Is there any example like that in any way whatsoever? And then again, some people, bless their heart, they're trying to find a reason to be sick. They say, well, you know, Pastor Mike, just because it's not there doesn't mean that it didn't happen. I got a problem with that. Because if that's the prevalent idea in the church world today, and we don't have an example of it in the Bible, then God did us an injustice by not letting us know that this is the way it is sometimes. Wouldn't you agree? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were sick, all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice that God was with him to heal all that were oppressed of the devil. The reason God was with him, at least one of the reasons, is to heal all that were oppressed of the devil. That was a work of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' ministry. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 13. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 10 a little bit later. But look with me over to Luke chapter 13. Here's an example of healing in Jesus' ministry. We'll start in verse 10. It says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. This word infirmity can mean weakness or it can mean sickness. And it's usually the context, depending on the context, is how it's uh, uh, what the meaning is. In this case, it means sickness. She had a spirit of sickness on her. In other words, there is sickness that's being enforced by the devil. Now, you might say, well, is that different from normal sickness? If so, only in degrees. Because all sickness is enforced of the devil in some way or another. We just found that out in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. So here's this woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. That's a long time to have something, isn't it? She had the spirit of sickness 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now, in my thinking... That means she's bowed over at the waist some way or another, so that she's looking at the ground and can't lift herself up and, been, and, and straighten herself out. Now to what degree we don't know? We don't know if she's been over at 90 degrees or if she's been over at 45 degrees. We don't know, but the Bible says she's been over and she can't straighten up. Bottom line, that's her issue, right? The work of the devil in her life and in her body is to keep her from straightening herself up and living a normal life. So she couldn't lift up herself, and Jesus saw her. When Jesus saw her in verse 12, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Now, the word "loosed" here is really interesting to me because it's the same word translated redeemed in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. Or, or, I'm sorry, verse 7. Let me read this to you real quick. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul is writing to the church, and it says... uh Well, maybe we ought to back up to verse 6 to get the context. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He, God, has made us accepted in the Beloved. Well, he's got to be talking about the the work of Jesus then, doesn't he? In whom, through Jesus, in other words, verse 7, We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, what does the word redemption mean in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7? It means Jesus accomplished something to provide us something. Now Redemption involves a lot of different things, or several different things at least. Redemption is all about freedom. Redemption, the concept, or the, the, the word redemption, carries with it the idea of a payment of a ransom so that somebody is set free. And that's exactly what Ephesians 117 or17, is saying to us. It's saying, "We have been set free by the blood of Jesus." Jesus shed his blood Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for the purpose of payment of a ransom to satisfy the claims of justice so that you and I could be free Now that's what Jesus says over in Luke chapter 13 Back to Luke chapter 13 verse 12 when Jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her woman thou art loose from thine infirmity you are redeemed you have been ransomed you are set free You ever notice how the Bible says that Jesus went about healing the sick that it might be fulfilled? That which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is in Matthew chapter 8. It says, uh, when the evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils and had divers disease and, and he healed them all. That it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself bear our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, what it's quoting is Isaiah 53.5. How in the world did Jesus fulfill Isaiah three five before he went to the cross? Because Isaiah 53 is all about the redemption chapter. It's all about the, the messianic chapter. It's all about the work that Jesus would accomplish for us through his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. How could he fulfill it while he's here on the earth? There's an interesting thing that um, about the Greek language that uh, that is a little unknown to us. And that is this, where it says that it might be fulfilled, it literally means that the beginning of the fulfillment could would come. So where it says Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 53, 5 in his earthly ministry, it literally means his earthly ministry, the works of healing that he did, all healing all those that were oppressed of the devil, was the beginning of the fulfillment that was finished when he went to the cross and was raised from the dead. I can prove that to you. Hold your finger here and turn with me over to Matthew chapter... Uh, what is it? Matthew 11, I think it is. Look with me to Matthew chapter 11. When John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he said, Behold, him that taketh away the sins of the world. He knew exactly who Jesus was. The heavens opened up after he came up out of the water. And everybody knew, everybody understood. Well, I say everybody. John understood. Maybe not everybody, but everybody heard the voice. But John understood who he was. But John was put in prison. You remember, uh, he began to speak against Herod. Herod um, uh, took his brother's wife and uh, it was a real wrong thing to do and immoral thing to do and it made a big scandal. It was the big scandal of the day and John started preaching out against it. And um, uh, so there was a certain day where Herod's wife's daughter put on this um, lewd show at one of his feasts and he got so excited and proud of his daughter and maybe turned on by what she did or whatever. He said, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. And and her mother said, tell him to give you John the Baptist's head. Well, you can figure that out pretty easily from her standpoint. She doesn't want anybody talking about her being in the wrong position as queen because she likes where she's at. So she doesn't want anybody, any preacher, preaching against what Herod did for her benefit. So they asked for John's head. Well, when John's in prison... John gets discouraged just like you and I would be discouraged in prison. And so John sends two of his disciples. Now notice in chapter 11 of Matthew, it said, um, verse 2, it says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And notice what he says. He said, and these two said on behalf of John to Jesus, Are you the one that should come or do we still look for another? Folks, here's what happens when you get discouraged. When things go against you, if you let discouragement get you, you'll forget the things that you know. Or at least once knew. John knew who he was. He knew who he was because he's the one that saw heaven open and heard the voice from heaven. But now he's asking. Now notice what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't put him down for where he's at or the the position that he's taken or even the questions that he's asked. Notice what Jesus' response is. Jesus said unto them, verse 4, Go and show John again the things which you do hear and see. Well, what do they see? The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. What's he saying? He's saying the proof of him being the Messiah were the earthly works, the miracle works, the healing works that he did. And that's all he identifies here is healing works. He did other, other works. He did other miracles. But the only ones he identifies to tell John were the healing works. Healing miracles. And he said that was the proof of him being the Messiah. His earthly healing works were the proof of his messianic mission. Do you see that? That's the beginning of the fulfillment. What Jesus did here on the earth was the beginning of the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 5. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So back to Luke 13. Jesus sees the woman that's been over, can't lift herself up. And He says, Woman, thou art redeemed, you are loosed, you are set free from your infirmity. The price has been paid. And He laid His hands on her and immediately she was made straight, glorified God. Everybody ought to be happy about that, shouldn't they? Oh, contrary. Verse 14, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. Jesus... No matter what good thing you think you've done, you have broken our traditions. And we can't have that around here. Folks, I gotta I tell you, there are a lot of religious groups that would rather hold on to their traditions than see God move. And I firmly believe that's one of the things that the Holy Ghost is going to move, one area that the Holy Ghost is going to move in the last days to break down the traditions of men and just show himself strong. Personal opinion. So the ruler of the synagogue gets upset. And he said, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now, he hadn't done anything to help this woman in however many days she's been there before. But he's going to criticize Jesus for doing it. Then the Lord answered him and said, well, I understand. Everybody has their own way of doing things. Jesus said, you hypocrite. Only people you ever see Jesus being unkind to were the religious people. Everybody else Jesus deals with in very kind, subtle manners. Not religious folks. You hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Now notice verse 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo these 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. Now Jesus' point is very simply. He's saying, you loose your animals so that they can get water on the Sabbath day, contrary to the law of Moses. Well, not really the law of Moses, but the, the tradition related to the law of Moses, not the Torah, but the Talmud. The Talmud was all kinds of rules and regulations telling you how many steps you could walk, uh, you know, how heavy something could be and, and still be legal for you to lift on the Sabbath day, just all a bunch of rules and stuff that the law of Moses never really entailed or, or dealt with. And so Jesus is very simply saying you'll treat your animals well enough to make sure that they have water contrary to the traditions of men regarding the Sabbath but you're going to try to keep this woman from being helped and set free on the Sabbath day. And there's two reasons why she ought to be helped. Number one is she's a daughter of Abraham. That seems to indicate that healing belongs to her. Jesus seemed to think that healing belonged to her. He said, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham. What does being a daughter of Abraham have to do with anything? Well, wasn't the promise of the Messiah made to the Jews? Therefore, isn't all the works of the Messiah, the works that the Messiah would do, didn't that belong to the Jews too? Well, then as a daughter of Abraham, she's in line for it. She deserves, according to God. Now, man might not think so. But according to God, she deserves anything and everything that Jesus was sent here to do. It belongs to her. And you can find a lot of places in the Old Testament not even related to Jesus where healing was provided for the Jews. Healing was not an unknown thing. It was just unknown like the, the, the measure and the manner that it worked through Jesus. Nobody had ever seen it like that before. But there were many cases where people had been healed through the law. There were places where the law of Moses provided for healing. So Jesus said, first thing, that she deserves it because she's a daughter of Abraham. The blessings of Abraham are hers. Well, the Bible says if you walk in the Word, if you keep the commandments of God as a part of Abraham's blessing, he'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days you'll fulfill. He's saying that belongs to her because she's a daughter of Abraham. But then the second thing that he says, the second reason is, is... Germain and specific to our discussion tonight. And that is, he said one of the reasons, one of the two reasons that she deserved to be set free is because Satan has bound this woman for 18 years. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Well, this must be one of the women, that was one of the individuals that was oppressed of the devil. In fact, folks, everybody that Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. That's why Jesus never had to stop and pray to find out if it was God's will for them to be sick. Or for them to be well. Because he knows that sickness is always of the devil. Sickness is never the will of God. Ever, ever, ever. It's impossible for it to be the will of God. Let me prove it to you with another couple of scriptures. Turn with me over to John chapter 10. We could take all night and spend more time going through scriptures than you've got time to look at. But we'll just pick out a few. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. John chapter 10. Notice Jesus says in verse 10, he says, the thief, he's talking about the devil, comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. He's saying, here's the devil's job description. Anything that steals, anything that kills, anything that destroys is of the devil. The devil cometh not but for. In other words, here's his only purpose. Here's the one and only purpose of the devil. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. Well, folks, look at what sickness steals from people. The end result of sickness, the the final, the finality of sickness is to destroy life, to kill. But look at what it destroys and what it steals in the process. It destroys joy. It robs children of their parents. It robs parents of their children. It steals money from the family. It destroys the home you can't find any part of sickness that doesn't kill, steal, or destroy. And Jesus said in a general sense, everything that kills, steals, and destroys is of the devil. Well, then we know that that certainly applies to sickness. Sickness is not the only thing that kills, steals, and destroys. So there's other things that the devil's involved in too. But sickness is absolutely a part of what kills, steals, and destroys. And notice Jesus makes a contrast. He said, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy, but... Here's the contrast. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Folks, I want you to understand something. Sickness is destroyed by the life of God. And healing is nothing more than the application of the life of God. Jesus said, the life that I have, John chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus said, the life that the Father has is the life that I have in me. Well, I wonder what kind of life he came to bring us then. The same life that God has. That must be eternal life. Folks, eternal life is not something we get when we get to heaven. Eternal life is something you have now through making Jesus the Lord of your life. Through accepting his redemption. The ransom that he paid. So when Jesus said, woman, thou art loosed or thou art redeemed from thine infirmity. Redemption means the same thing today as it meant when Jesus said it, doesn't it? There's not a different redemption when Jesus was here on the earth than there is today, is there? He knew what his purpose was. He knew what his mission was. John even knew. He said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's redemption. So from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, even before Jesus' ministry, the Bible is real clear. The prophets were real clear. They outlined specifically, here's the work that the Messiah would do. He would redeem mankind. He would pay man's ransom and redeem mankind part of what he's redeemed from, a part of the ransom or the price that's been paid, is the price for sickness. The same blood that covered the price for sickness covered the price for sin because sickness is of sin. When does sickness come into the world? If it's of God, then God had to create it. The Bible says that everything God made in the earth, he made in the first six days. So which day did he make it? You don't see it on any of the, the lists. For day one, two, three, four, five, or six. And then the Bible says God rested. It literally means he put an end to everything that he made. So if God made sickness, he had to make it in one of the first six days. Somebody show me where he made it. He didn't. At the end of the six days, he looked at everything and said, it is very good. And notice God says things are good when there is no sickness present. Because sickness was not in the earth. When does sickness come on the scene then? After Adam and Eve fell. Sin opened the door to everything that kills, steals, and destroys because that's the point where Satan became the god of this world. According to 2 Corinthians 4.4. Satan is the god of this world. He's the one that through sin came through the door of God's creation to bring death, both physical and spiritual, to bring poverty, and to bring sickness. Which incidentally, the Bible says that those are the exact three things that you're redeemed from by the blood of Jesus. Spiritual death, sickness, and poverty. Let me give you another proof text, and I'm going to just talk to you about this principle. While you're doing that, turn with me over to John chapter 9. While I tell you about this one, I want you to see John chapter 9. Because here's one that the church used against me that really caused me some problems in, in uh Believing in and and about what the Bible says concerning the healing ministry of Jesus. Do you remember that there was a time in Jesus' ministry where he cast the devil out of somebody and, and the Pharisees came to him and claimed that he was casting devils out by the power of the devil? you remember that story? Well, Jesus answered it pretty simply with the same principle that I want to share with you. And that is, he said, if Satan is divided against Satan, then his kingdom cannot stand. His kingdom will fall. Well, that's not just true where Satan is concerned. That would be true for God, wouldn't it? If Jesus is working in contrary or cross purposes with the will of God, which he never did, Jesus said his whole purpose here on the earth was to do the will of his Father. But if any one person operates in cross purposes with the one that sent them, that's going to cause the destruction of their kingdom. So if the devil's working against the devil to cast out the devil then that's going to cause the destruction of his kingdom. If Jesus is working contrary or in cross purposes with God, meaning God wants people sick, but Jesus heals them, then that's going to cause the kingdom of God to fall too, right? Or else Jesus told us a lie. So what is it? Did Jesus heal people that God wanted sick? If so, the kingdom of God is doomed. Or did Jesus heal people that God wanted well and worked in concert with the will of God? Well, the second one's obviously the answer. Now, with that in mind, I want you to see John chapter 9, because here's one that the church I grew up in told me was proof that God sometimes makes people sick. John chapter 9, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, the fact that this guy's a man indicates that he's 30 years old or more. So he's a grown man. He's been blind all of his life. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now stop reading everything else and let's talk about their question. Verse 2. Their question is, who sinned? Now what does that tell us first and foremost? That tells us the disciples, in all their great wisdom, understood that sickness was the byproduct of sin. Their only question is, who sinned? They're not saying, did sin cause this problem? They're saying, who sinned? Can you see that? That goes back to what we said in the creation. Sickness was not made by God. Sickness came on the scene as a result or a byproduct of sin when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and, and did what the devil told them to do instead. The devils? No, the the devils. The disciples? Well, sometimes... The disciples knew this. They said, We know sin is the problem. Our question is, whose sin caused the problem? Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answers the question. He said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. Now, he's going to say some other things, but that's the answer to the question. The question is, who sinned? The man or his parents? Jesus said, Neither one. Well, okay, let's stop right there then. If neither one, neither the man's sin or his parents' sin caused him to be born blind, since sin is the cause of sickness or the source, the original source of sickness, whose sin caused the problem? Folks, the answer is very simple. Adam's sin. Adam's sin caused the problem. Because Adam's sin is what opened the door to all sickness here in the earth. So Jesus is answering People aren't sick because they've done something wrong. People are oftentimes sick or afflicted with sickness because there's a real devil in the world. That's the end of the question. That's the answer to the question. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Period. Now let's see what else Jesus says. Jesus says, now I want you to, know, let me, uh, um, let me make this statement. I trust you understand enough about Bible translations to know this. The original Greek text for the New Testament and Hebrew text for the Old Testament was all in what we would consider to be uppercase letters without any punctuation, without any spaces between the words. It's all a string of uppercase letters or the equivalent of uppercase letters. That means the translators took the string of letters and they made punctuation They divided it in chapters and verses for reference sake. They're the ones that added all the stuff in there. Now, folks, the text is inspired by God, not necessarily the punctuation. Not necessarily the translation from the Greek to the English. Now, the translators did a a marvelous job, in my opinion, to, to uh, to the great degree, to a great degree. But you need to understand that every translation is based on two things. One is their knowledge of the language, and the second is their understanding of God. So if somebody, there are many things that you can look at from the Scripture and, and see with greater clarity and understanding after you learn and grow in the things of God than you did the first time you saw them. Well, how does that work for the translators? If they're operating on a low level of understanding about God and they translate something, they're going to translate according to their understanding about how God works. And therefore, that's going to influence the punctuation. It's going to influence the verse designations delineations between chapters and so forth. It's going to influence everything they did, just, because it's just the same way it would influence everything you did. Now, with, with what I know about God and what I've learned through experience, there are a lot of places in the Bible that I would change punctuation. If I'm translating, there are things that I'm going to change punctuation and there are things that I'm going to recognize, well, this fits with this. I wouldn't divide that up. It just comes through experience. It comes through knowledge and, and the increase of knowledge. So you need to understand, punctuation is not sacred. You with me? You have just as much right, based on your understanding of God, through the scriptures, to punctuate the Bible as the translators did. Because the translators, the the, the punctuation was never a part of the original text. There is no punctuation in the original text. So I'm going to take some liberties, based on my knowledge of God. Now, you judge it. I'm not asking you to take my word on anything. I want you to judge this based on what you know of God and know from the scriptures. Jesus answers the question, as he always did. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Period. Then he goes to talk about something else. He said, but that the works of God must, that, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Period. The night cometh when no man can work. Period. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm telling you folks that what Jesus is saying is that Adam's sin was the problem, not this man or his parents' sin, and I'm here to do a work in him to bring him healing. The church I grew up in told me that Jesus is answering, saying, it wasn't this man's sin, nor his parents that sinned. It was important for him to be born blind so that I'd have somebody to heal when I came across him. Now, I don't care how you parse words. That means God was behind it. If God was behind it, then that means he caused this man to be blind for 30 or 30 plus years. And I can't can't by any definition identify that as good. Can you? How could that possibly be good? Look at what he stole from him. He stole years of happiness. He stole his opportunity to be a normal kid growing up. Run and play like other boys. Look at what it was stolen from him. That sounds to me like it falls into the devil's work job description. Yet the church I grew up in, based on the punctuation, told me that Jesus is saying, No, I needed somebody to heal when I came down the road this day. And so God caused him to be blind all these years. I would submit to you folks that if that's true, we've got some pages to tear out of the Bible. The ones that we just looked at. We've got to tear out of the Bible. You've got to do away with Acts 10.38. Because Acts 10.38 says Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and healed all that were oppressed of the devil. If God made this guy sick, then what Peter said in Acts chapter 10 was a lie. If God made this guy sick, then what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10 was a lie. The thief comes but for to kill, steal, and to destroy. Eh, Except when God makes people sick or blind. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's impossible for that to be true if God made this guy sick. Impossible. So you decide for yourself. Are you going to tear up your Bible or are you going to accept that it's different from what the denominations might have told us? Neither is this man sin nor his parents, period. Then Jesus says what he's going to do. But that the works of him that sent me... But that I might work the works of him that sent me. I'm sorry. Let me read it. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Now let me ask you a question. It's very easy to identify what's God doing in this and what's the devil doing in this. Because Jesus is saying that the works of God are about to be done in him. The works of God are about to be made manifest in him. He does not say that sickness is the work of God manifest in him. He says I'm about to do the works of God those works of God are about to be made manifest in Him because I'm here to do the works while it's day. What work did Jesus do? He healed the guy, didn't He? Well then can we conclude anything other than healing had to be the works of God that was manifest in? Manifest in Him? Is there any other conclusion we can draw from that? The work of God that was done was a healing work. So God's idea, God's will, God's plan in this thing was heal the guy. But then who made him sick? Well, Acts 10.38 is still true. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. This guy was oppressed of the devil. He was blind because of the devil. Not because of God, because of the devil. Now turn back with me to Acts chapter 10. Let me close with this. I want to tell you a couple of stories. That's, uh, well, what, five? Five witnesses from the New Testament, I think, four, five, I don't know how many it was. Plenty and enough to build a case on. Acts chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. This verse of Scripture has been used in some, uh, some uh, marvelous and miraculous ways that I know of. And I'm sure there are a lot of things that we don't know of. But there was a man by the name of John Alexander Dowie that had a church in, in Chicago, Illinois, the Chicago area and this was back in uh, uh well it would have been in the 1800s sometime i'm not sure exactly when this happened but alexander john alexander dowie was a uh, a gentleman that uh, was pastoring a church and it was kind of a uh, a city or a township parish type thing it was uh, it wasn't what you would consider well it was uh, it was a liturgical type of church he wasn't a Episcopalian or anything like that, but but there was a real formality to the church and a real formality to the group that he was part of, and that type of thing. Well, there was a, a plague that came through that uh, that area, and and he was losing church members right and left. I mean, people were dying, and they were dying with this terrible, you know, discharge that would come out of their mouths and and this kind of thing. And and in a matter of just ten or twelve days, he had buried over a hundred of his church people. And this thing, and he's got most of the rest of his church is, is sick with this thing too. And it's, it's ravaging the whole city and the, the whole surrounding um, towns and, and that type of thing. It was a real big deal. And so he, he's just crying out to God. He had just come back from a funeral, and on the way back from the funeral, he stopped at the hospital to see some of his own people, and he could see there at the verge of death, you know, the very point of death themselves. And so he's he he just gets back to his office there at the church, and he just collapses in his chair there in, uh, next to his desk in his study. And he just cries out to God. He, he, he puts his elbows on the table, and he puts his hands in his head, uh, I'm sorry, his head in his hands. And he just cried out to God. And he just, he just asked the question out loud. Uh, he said, Dear God, is my whole church going to die? And he just sobbed, just sobbed. And that question's ringing off the walls in his office Dear God, is my whole church going to die? So he sobs for a little bit, finally runs out of tears. He's been crying for weeks. So he finally runs out of tears. And that question's still ringing. Dear God, is my whole church going to die? And the Holy Ghost on the inside of him. Now, at that point in time, John Alexander Dowie didn't know anything about being led by the Holy Ghost. He didn't know anything about the move of the Holy Ghost. He didn't know anything about spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Holy Ghost or anything like that. But down on the inside of him, he said he heard something that sounded like it was at the bottom of a well. Just a real small quiet voice that started coming up started rising up on the inside of him you know what that voice said how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for god was with him well now he said that he picked that up for a second with his head and he thought about it for a minute and then his mind went immediately back to all the people that he had buried And he began to sob again. and He began to cry and cried out to God. Oh, God, am I going to lose my whole church? And this kind of stuff. Got back into, a, uh, you know, feeling sorry for himself and sorry for all the terrible things that were happening. Ran out of tears again. Got quiet. He said this voice. Sounded like it was coming up from the well. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He said he started to pick up on it again. Same thing. Got back over to thinking about all the people he'd buried and all the people that were in the hospital about to die and about all the others that he knew that were in the early stages of this thing. And he just moans and groans and starts crying and sobbing and wailing out before God. Third time. Runs out of tears. Same thing. This time the voice comes up again says the same thing. Quotes Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now, the problem up to this point is Dowie didn't know who's doing what. Dowie's like a lot of Christians today. He can see the destruction that sickness is bringing, but he doesn't know if God's behind it or not. Third time when that voice came up, like again, he said it was like coming from a well, just a real quiet voice, not strong, not forceful, just real quiet, like somebody had whispered at the bottom of the well, just kind of floated up toward him. Finally, the third time he picked up and he said, who said that? Now, what he's saying is, who's talking to me? That's what he means. He means, who's talking to me? Who's telling me this? But the Holy Ghost answered and said, Acts 10.38. So now got out his Bible. He looked at Acts 10.38 and never had seen it before. They may have read it before, but never paid any attention to it. You know as well as I do, you don't get the Bible the first time you read it. You don't get the meaning of Scripture the first time you see them. So he began to read how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. And as soon as he got there, he said those next words, all that were oppressed of the devil stood up on the page. He said they stood up like an inch off the page in dark print. He said it's like they jumped out at me, all that were oppressed of the devil. He said instantly I saw it. It's not God making these people sick. It's not God killing my church people. It's not God trying to destroy my church. It's the devil that's doing it. He said, Dowie stood up, slammed his hand on the desk and said, Devil, I refuse to let you kill any more of my people. And not a one of his people died from that point forward. Now let me tell you the far-reaching effects that had. That started a healing ministry for John Alexander Dowie. And while he was in Chicago... That healing, uh, the, the renown, the fame of the healing services that he conducted and oversaw were such that they traveled the world. People began coming from, from foreign countries and traveling on steamships to get to Chicago, to get to these healing ministries of John Alexander Dowie. So much so that if you look, you can go back, you can find, even online, you can find some pictures of these things. It shows that they, they had to keep building bigger and bigger wings on the building. I mean, there were thousands, tens and thousands, tens and twenties of thousands of people in some of these services. And people that would get healed, that, 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 like somebody came on crutches and got healed, they'd tack the crutches up on the wall. If somebody was in a wheelchair and they got healed, they'd tack the wheelchair up on the wall. They'd hang it up on the wall. You couldn't find a wall space. In this thing, the pictures just show the walls covered with crutches and braces and wheelchairs and, and sick beds and all kinds of thing, cots that they would bring people on deathbeds and stuff. You ever heard of John Lake? John Lake was a man that was used of God in Africa, South Africa. He had one of the, the greatest healing ministries of anybody in modern days. I mean, it rivaled the Apostle Paul. After he came back from South Africa, he started healing rooms in Spokane, Washington. The, the, the city newspapers reported that Spokane, Washington was the, was the healthiest city in America. And they'd write up John Lake's healing rooms. Well, wouldn't it be nice as a newspaper to do that today? I guess they've got a different plan now. Anyway, I mean, it did tremendous things. But let me tell you how Lake got started. John Lake was one of 16 children. His parents were healthy, strong people, hard-working people. But by the time that John Lake was in his early 20s, eight of those 16 children had died from sickness and disease. It was like sickness just ravaged through their, their family. He said over a 32-year period, there was never a day that somebody in his family was not an invalid. He had one brother. By the time that uh, that he got in his uh, his early twenties, I guess he's around 22 years old. By the time he got to 22 years old, he said that there was three people, three of the brothers and sisters that he had left, that were invalids. So eight have died. Now another three are waiting to die. Basically, one of his brothers had a, a bleeding kidney. He was bleeding incessantly from his kidneys, so much so that the only thing that the doctors could do were prescribe that he would eat blood-producing foods. And as fast as the, the uh, his digestive system could produce blood, it was spilling out through his, this kidney. This kidney was just inoperable. It was nothing that anybody could do. They heard of Dowie's healing rooms in Chicago. And so just as a, a last-ditch desperate, uh, desperate effort... They took this uh, this guy that had been sick for 22 years. This brother of his that had been sick for 22 years with this this bleeding kidney. They took him down to Dowie's healing room or healing uh, service in Chicago. And he was healed, instantly healed. Guy walked four miles home. Never had another problem. Man, that created a stir in the family. Because all they know is sickness. He had another sister that had an issue of blood of some type, I'm sorry, the sister, had uh, uh, cancer, breast cancer. It started off with one cancer and it was operated in, operated on. Now this is back in the early 1900s. And, you know, things were a lot different then than they are now. And so they had mutilated her breast trying to get out this cancer and the end result was they had not gotten out the cancer and four more tumors had appeared in her breast. So there were five total tumors in this one breast. She's just wasting away. She's losing over a pound a day. This thing is just eating her from the inside. They took her down to Dawi's healing service. She was instantly healed. Now there was another sister that they took down there. They got her healed in Daoist healing service too. They're convinced that the healing power of God is a, real, is a reality. They're seeing it change in their family. The spirit of sickness lifted off their family, as Dow, as, uh, as Lake said, for the first time in 32 years. But then Lake said, we were so excited about the things that had happened for my brother and my sisters, my two sisters. He said, we were so excited, but then all of a sudden, sickness attacked my home. He was married at the time, had two young kids. And he said that his wife had come from a family and his, her family had uh, had tuberculosis throughout her family and she had tuberculosis too and so she was afflicted with the, with the tuberculosis in such a, to such a degree that there would be times where she would just fall unconscious in the middle of the floor there were times where he'd come home find her unconscious in the floor or in the bed or whatever thinking that she was dead but she wasn't she was at the verge of death but um you know it's just this thing repeatedly and with tuberculosis you know there's coughing up uh lung tissue and and bloody flux type stuff and that type of thing. So it was it was a real terrible, terrible thing, terrible situation. Well, at this time, Lake is convinced that healing power of God is works. The healing power of God is is absolutely theirs. They've been healed, but Dao's healing rooms for two of the other uh one brother, one sister. The third sister wasn't healed through Dowie's healing rooms. They prayed, uh, late got some of his friends together to pray, and they set a certain time at 9.30 in the evening. They all prayed, and then she was instantly healed that way as well. But they prayed and prayed and prayed for his wife, and no, they got no results. He said there was a minister of, of renown in his area that came over and finally said, Well, I think you need to be reconciled to her dying. And Lake said that uh, that he felt that that had insulted God because they had been convinced. I mean, all he's got to do is look at his two brother, his one brother, and his two sisters to see the healing power of God at work. So Lake heard this. He turned around, and went upstairs to his room, just mad. Slammed his hand down on the desk, and his Bible was right there. He picked up his Bible and he threw his Bible down on the on the middle of the bed. And he said, "God, where are you?" You know what his Bible opened to? Acts 10:38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Lake said that was like a bolt of electricity going through him when he read that scripture. He said it was like a bolt of electricity that went through him. He got up, went back downstairs. This preacher, this unbelieving preacher still there, the one that's reconciled to her going home, trying to talk him into it. He goes downstairs, grabs him by the seat of the pants and pushes him out the front door. Turns around, closes the door, goes over, lays hands on his wife, then stops and he thinks, you know, i got other people to pray for my sister. Let me call friends to pray for her too. So he got some friends on the phone, told them we're going to pray at such and such a time within just a few minutes. Prays, time comes, he prays, she's instantly healed. Lake said this, Lake said, with what had happened with my two sisters and my brother, he said, news went out everywhere about that. And then what had happened with my wife being healed, those four people, those four examples, those four incidents of healing. He said when people found that out and he said it seemed to go everywhere. It went through the through the the, the township that we were in, it went through the nearby counties. He said when that when um, uh when that got out, when the news of that got out. He said people have always asked me, often asked me, how did you get into the healing ministry? He said I didn't have a choice. Everybody's heard about what's happening. Everybody's wanting to come by the house and have us pray for sick, the sick. Pray for people to be healed. He said, I didn't have a choice. I wonder if it's supposed to be that way, folks. It was that way with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was so busy ministering to the sick that a lot of times he and his disciples didn't have time to stop and eat. Oh, those days are coming again. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not trying to say, well, you know, the good old days are around the corner. As far as i'm concerned we're experiencing some good old days right now we just went around the room and gave testimonies of people that have been healed through just through healing school not just through other things but just through healing school we could fill a book they're not all spectacular healings but they're all equally as important to the people that received them so don't get me wrong i'm not about to say that well one of these days no one of these days is now the healing word of God works today. It'll work for you tonight. But I do believe that we're entering into an area where there's a wave of God that's going to carry us over into healing. Brother Hagin talked about the healing revival back in the... Uh, well, it started in 1947. And it went to the last little bit of it. it. was 1958. It really had... The most of it had stopped before then. But Brother Hagin talked about the healing revival to some of us youngsters when I was working with him. He said, I've never seen anything like that. He said it was like no matter what you did, everything went to the area of healing. He said it's the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. Because, see, that was something the Holy Ghost was moving in that direction. It was something specific the Holy Ghost was doing. Now, he, he likened it to waves of the ocean. You go out, we're, we're close to the ocean, so we know what it's like to go out to the ocean and watch the waves come in. Well, each wave is different. You can tell that by watching the surfers. They know how to look for waves and see which one they want. And they know about sets. You know, waves come in sometimes three at a time. The one in the biggest, the one in the middle is supposed to be the biggest or something like that. I'm not a surfer, so I don't know. I might have that wrong. But they know how to look for them. They know how to recognize them because they're familiar with waves. Now, it's all the ocean. Every bit of it is the ocean. So in one sense, there's no difference from one wave in another because it's all the same water in the ocean. Yet there are differences and different characteristics to waves. It's like that with spiritual things. It's all the Holy Ghost. But there are different characteristics to what God does at certain times. Now that healing revival lasted basically for 10 years over into the 11th year, but the most of it was 10 years. And during that period of time, everything was going that direction. And as a result of the healings, a lot of people were getting saved. A lot of people that wouldn't have believed otherwise saw the healing power of God and so it convinced them that Jesus is alive. It swept people in. Not only did it bring blessing and benefit to those that were sick, but it swept people into the kingdom of God. Well, the Bible says Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. That's a move of God. The early and the latter rain is always a type of the move of God in the, whole, in the throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. I wonder what it, what kind of move of God... It's going to sweep people in in the last days. wonder what it's going to be. I wonder if it's going to be anything like what Jesus did. I wonder if it's going to have anything to do with the same works that Jesus said we'd do. Oh, folks, I'm telling you. The best days for the church are still ahead. The best days for the church are still ahead. You know what was interesting? is brother Hagen said that, uh, that the Lord spoke to him about the healing revival before it ever happened. Two years before it happened. Well, actually, it was more than two years. It was four years before it happened. It was, uh, well, maybe not quite four. The, toward the end of 1944, World War II was winding down. It finally ended in uh, in 1945. But in uh, in 1944, during the the fall, I believe it was of 1944, if I've got the story right, remember the story right? Brother Hagen said he was praying, and the Lord spoke to him, and he said this: He said, "There's a wave of healing that's coming at uh, at the end of World War II." Well, World War II ended it uh, in 1945, but it was two years later before the healing revival started. So the Lord was right; it was at the end, but not immediately at the end. He said, "There's a wave of healing that's uh, or healing revival." No, he called it a wave of healing. He said, there's a wave of healing that's coming at the end of 19, or at the end of World War II. Well, at that point in 1944, people were just talking about the possibility of the end of, of World War II. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't anything that anybody was counting down the days or anything like that. It was just that victory was finally in sight. So he said, at the end of World War II, there'll come a revival or a wave of healing. And he said, it'll last for a short time. And after that, it will end. And then he told Brother Hagin some specific things to do related to the healing revival or the healing wave. That's one thing about the moves of God. The moves of God are always for short periods of time. You look at the ministry of Paul, I mean the book of Acts, wow. But if you look at Paul's ministry, and he was in ministry over 35 years, he had a 10-year window where he was most effective. In a 10 year window, he planted all the churches that he planted and he wrote all the letters that he wrote to the church. It was a window. Folks, God works with windows or waves, whichever way you want to look at it specific things, specific moves, specific emphasis for a specific time. I wonder what he's got planned for the last window. It's going to be the best. It's going to be what the Bible calls the glorious church. It's going to bring about the precious fruit of the earth that Jesus is waiting to come back for. Brother Hagin told these healing revival. Well, during the healing revival, there was a a, uh, group of ministers that got together. Gordon Lindsay started it. It It's called the Voice of Healing. Gordon Lindsay is the founder of Christ for the Nations, his wife, Rita. I'm not sure if she's still alive or not, but uh, anyway, Christ for the Nations is still going on in Dallas. That was uh, that was Brother Lindsay. And uh, in order to advertise the meetings, and most of these meetings were intent to uh, revivals and things like that primarily because they didn't have churches that would hold um, hold the crowns or or a lot of times the churches would cooperate because it wasn't of their denomination or whatever. So Brother Lindsay started what was known as the Voice of Healing and everybody, all the healing evangelists during the healing revival were a part of this uh, organization except for Oral Roberts. He had his own organization. He was on TV for some of that time and, and, um, uh, was uh, of great renown, at least. Maybe he hadn't started TV yet. So he wasn't part of the organization, but he fellowshiped with them and sometimes he was the, the guest speaker, the, the featured speaker at, at their conventions, their annual conventions. And so Brother Hagin said that all this time the Lord had spoken to him specifically about what to do. Everybody was trying to prophesy Brother Hagin to get a tent. He said he never would do it. He would always go into the churches while the, after Uh, a tent revival was there. Like, for example, if Oral Roberts was there or A.E. Allen was in town or had been to that town or Jack Coe or one of the big-name guys, he said he would always schedule himself in the churches to teach after this healing revival or healing campaign had finished. He said the reason for that is, he said, because a lot of people were getting healed on manifestations of the Spirit because it was a healing revival. It was a healing wave. But they didn't have any knowledge of the Word of God, so they didn't know how to keep their healing. It's one thing to get it, it's another thing to keep it. It's like that with money, isn't it? It's one thing to get money, it's another thing to keep money. So the Lord spoke to Brother Hagin about going into the churches. Don't go into the tents. Don't go into to, to neutral places like the healing revivalists were. He said, go into the churches after these great healing campaigns and teach the people how to keep their healing. So he'd have healing results, but they would come as a result of the teaching of the word. So God told him to do something spe- specific and different than most of the other people did in that period of time. And Brother Hagen said, in the, um, in the, uh, I think this would have been about the, the, well, maybe the early 50s. Brother Hagen told these guys they were having uh, uh, workshops where it was just a ministers-only type thing, and and it was a um, uh, whole bunch of people, you know, several hundred of these healing revivalists, some of the biggest name people out there, guys that were having 25 and 30 and um, well, what was it? I think Oral Roberts had a tent that would seat 35,000 people. So um, Jack Coe built one that would seat 36. Had to outdo it. And so he said he would have these guys that would have these these huge crowds. He said, Brother Hagin said that the Lord came upon him one day because he had been praying about some things. He could see where the, the healing revival was going to wane. He could see where it was going to end and Why? And so he he told one of these guys uh, there was a it was a round table type thing and so there was a lot of ministers there some of the biggest name people in the in the country that were part of the healing wave the healing revival and so brother Hagan told him he said when uh, when all you boys are gone I'm still going to be here Well brother Hagan you gotta realize back in those days brother Hagan was a little little fish in a big pond I mean the way I talk about him is like he's the only guy that ever lived you know but it wasn't that way he was a real little fish compared to these guys, and he said, "When all you good boys are gone, all you fellows are gone, I'm still going to be out there." And here's why: because you're building your ministries on the manifestations of the Spirit, and I'm building mine on the Word, and the Word never fails. Well, it happened just the way he said. The healing revival came to an end; that window closed, and all those big name people they had nowhere to go, nothing to do. It was the end of that period. But Brother Hagin's ministry began, it just took off, built stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger, better and better. Because the Word never fails, folks. So let me encourage you on something. And, and you're going to see some different things. There are some, there are some different ways that the Holy Ghost is moving with different churches and different groups right now. But if they're not based on the Word, they won't last. That window will close. Don't get closed out with it. Don't be on the wrong side of the window when it closes. It has to be based on the Word. Anything that's going to last is going to be based on the Word. That's why Jesus was so solid and ministered in such a variety of ways because it was always based on the Word. I believe that the last day move of God is going to be a healing wave too, but it's going to be a healing wave based on the Word, not apart from it. Time will tell whether I'm right or not. We'll see. Well, I've talked long enough. I'm not anywhere near finished, but this might be a good place to quit. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart as much or more than anything else is when I see Christians bless their hearts that are facing critical conditions of sickness and they don't know if God's behind it or not. I know with some of these caring bridge websites and, and some there may be others... That, uh, that are out there that I'm just not aware of but things where, where Christians are going through just devastating things for themselves and where their families are concerned and the the, the responses that people get on this about just accepting whatever the Lord's will is and, and things like that people that don't have a clue they're letting the, the devil destroy their lives and they don't know who's doing the destroy oh that breaks my heart I wonder how God feels about that I wonder how Jesus feels about that he paid for the price he paid the price for it to be done. and People argue about whether or not it's the will of God. Folks, sickness on any level is never the will of God. Ever. Let's lift our hands and thank God for healing. Thank you, Father, The healing is available to us because of the work of Jesus. We don't have to do anything to get healed except to believe and receive. Oh, Father, healing is just as easy to receive as Jesus, as the Lord of our lives. Just as we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can receive Jesus as our healer. Because the price was paid. Same price, same act, same work. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your great plan of redemption. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Let it never be said of us that we left any part of your sacrifice not taken advantage of. Let it never be said of us that any person in this room failed to reach out in faith knowing that you're on our side to affect our healing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I see that, Lord. I know. You just tell me when. I see it. You just tell me when. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us into healing. You got us into all truth. You got us into the truth of healing. In Jesus' precious name. We love you, Father. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed, Father. You know how we struggled with sickness for so long. It's so good to take our healing by faith. Just simply because Jesus paid the price for it. And to say, I receive. In Jesus' name, I receive. Healing is mine now by faith. In Jesus' name. Oh, Father, it's so good to be healed. So good to know that we can count on you. So good that we can know that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is quickening our mortal bodies too. The life of God. The life of God that fills our spirit is healing our flesh. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, there's a great wave on the horizon. Like surfers in the water, we can look out on the horizon and say, here's a big one here comes a big one it's a wave that will bring, bring about the precious fruit of the earth it's a wave that will bring about the glory of God it will be a short time it won't be an extended time it won't be a protracted time but it will be a strong wave for a specific time and then shall the end come We need to be ready. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for being with us.